Welcome back to another episode of Banter Banter. We've sent Aaron on another wild goose chase to see if he can locate the man in the movie preview that we are about to review. It has begun! It has begun! Doom, 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 doom. Manny, after watching the Mortal Kombat trailer, how did you feel about this remake? Or would you even classify this as a remake? Oh, Warner Brothers, is there no property that you will not drag out of the depths of the grundle that is the dead game-to-movie graveyard? Dust it off. Put it in a nice tuxedo. Maybe soak it in a bathtub before you do that to re-moisten the decaying flesh. And sit it at your high school reunion because you are so desperate to have somebody show up with you. Oh, Warner Brothers, you're in a dead marriage. And the dead marriage is you and Mortal Kombat. That being said, this preview looked really fun to me. I'm not expecting a plot. I assume they're going to use the very simple plot that was used in almost all Mortal Kombat games, which is, you've got bad guys, get to top of tower and win. You know what's the interesting part about transferring a fighting game property into a film is it seems most of the time at least i don't know if this is the experience you've had but most fighting games the storyline is kind of secondary and if you look into it it's a little bit over the top anyway so a you stand to anger a lot less people by making up your own crap for the film B, you also do kind of have a lot more wiggle room than you have with larger franchises that are a little more story-heavy. Sadly, Mortal Kombat has, since they were no longer being published by Midway, and kind of formed NetherRealm Studios and were being published specifically by Warner Brothers, they've gone really story-heavy. I'm not sure where this one's going to go, though. It seems like you're getting more story than you'd expect, because they seem to have this weird plot going on. It is kind of a weird plot. One of the characters throws out the term superpowers. Makes me wonder if they're trying to connect back to an old group of people who enjoyed the video game franchise, but also... Siphon off some of the superhero crowd. The graphics were really amazing in this, and the fight scenes that they showed seemed pretty fun. I'd also think Sonya Blade's use of the term superpowers maybe is 
what they would consider to be standard vocabulary for describing what's going on based off of recontextualizing this version of the Mortal Kombat universe in somewhat of an Earth that is more closely parallel to ours. And, you know, in our reality, we are heavily saturated with superhero media all the time. So it would seem natural to explain somebody who had supernatural abilities as saying they have superpowers, because most people get that. I like it, because they take that stretch for your imagination, and then they give Jax Terminator arms. Yeah, can we take a moment and maybe think about any time in any Mortal Kombat media, be it animated or live action, I'm not talking about the games, just anything they put Jax into that isn't that, where he isn't put in there to ultimately lose his arm somehow. If they put him in, they should just put him in already with the cybernetic arms. Or just have him be a side character that doesn't do much because, let's be honest, Jax's powers come from those big beefy metal arms. So, would you say that Jackson Briggs' arms are the Krillin of the Mortal Kombat franchise? <laughs> Rather than it being a specific character, it's just his limbs. They are there only to die, and only so you feel bad. Or, at least so, a character, usually Sonya, who is in the same, I guess, paramilitary outfit that they are in it's usually there just to take her off and to incapacitate Jax and then to bring him back later with awesome bionic arms Jax's arms are only there to be ripped off to drive the plot that's it Jax's arms are to mortal combat such as Mufasa <laughs> is to Simba in The Lion King it's only there to die. Jax's arms are to Mortal Kombat what Bambi's mom is to the Bambi film. It looks fun enough. It looks like another reinterpretation of a lot of characters. The casting looks good. It's interesting that they are actually... Uh... A diverse cast? Yeah, that's definitely appreciated. Although there's something kind of... I would say schlocky and so I don't know who played Raiden in the old 90s Mortal Kombat film, the first one, but he just like chewed up the scenery so bad every scene he was in and I loved him for <laughs> it. He was pretty good at chewing that scenery. Maybe this new Raiden will also be capable of chewing the scenery. I don't think they gave us a good spread of the plot development other than the light voiceover that was towards the back half of this, what felt like a very long trailer at two and a half minutes. I guess this is clearly in the theater instead of just a regular TV spot. And of course, like usual, ever since NetherRealm Studios started with was it Mortal Kombat 9 back during the PS3 generation you can definitely tell how Scorpion 
who is one of the original creators, Ed Boon, if you had to associate someone on the internet, but this was Ed Boon posting on the internet, Scorpion is his OC. Scorpion is like the character who is just too cool for school. Over the years, he's gotten such a fleshed out backstory and he slowly went from being this like demonic specter of a murderous ninja on basically a revenge mission that never gets explained too well to kind of becoming an anti-hero. And then in the most recent Mortal Kombat, he is straight up a hero of his own accord. Sort of like Wolverine, like people talk like he's an anti-hero, but really he's a hero nowadays. That's pretty much where Scorpion is. Then I'm interested to see what this movie portrays. You know, I could definitely imagine taking an episode to talk about the history of some of the more interesting characters in Mortal Kombat. We'll leave it at that. He's basically a hero on his own path kind of thing. I'm interested. There's definitely a little bit more DNA from the overall lore in this film. I would watch it. Cool. I would definitely agree. I think this is a watch this movie. Tweet at us and let us know how you feel about this Mortal Kombat trailer. Would you see the movie? Would you not see the movie? Is it mortal? Is it combat? Or is it, let's get ready to rumble? Can Shang Tsung absorb the Terminator's soul? And with that trailer park at an end, I'd like to grip it and rip it. I'd like to hang on to a little bit of the spirit of what we just talked about, and that's... Video game franchises? Yeah, and specifically how pervasive not just general nerd culture has become and how okay it's become to kind of seep into everybody else's general life. And I know that's how it's become for the older generations and partially for us because we kind of grew up in this like hybrid state where it's like you had to have like your normal side and then, you know, inside of the secret layer in your closet, you had your nerd side that was okay to bring out with the right people, but otherwise you tended to closet that. And I think that's still a reaction we tend to have as individuals, especially if we grew up during that transitionary period of late 80s, 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, I can see that. I definitely had a group of friends that liked to play outside. We would go to the neighborhood park and play like capture the flag and other types of physical activity games. And then I had a group that liked to play video games as well as one of them had a railroad landscape for the smaller train sets that you could make. So they had this giant thing in their basement. I thought it was super cool. It's funny that you bring up landscape. So where I was going with this is that while it's still adequate to have like your professional life and whatever, there's definitely a lot of spaces, you know, like in entertainment and whatnot, that kind of cross that gap and kind of bridge the two. Last month, I saw an article that was talking about a UK company that was hiring for a particular job, and I'd like to describe the requirements to you a la Craigslist ad. 
I would love to hear it because I am definitely looking for a landscaping job. A UK-based company is looking to recruit a collective of ritual landscape gardeners to provide professional advice to players looking to improve their in-game outdoor space. The game we're talking about here in particular is Minecraft. Here's a little bit about the requirements. The virtual landscape gardener roles involve evaluating a client's current setup and providing creative feedback, providing clients with suggested setups that stay within their budget and explain the reasoning behind each of these choices. And lastly, create multiple designs for each client should they want a redesign in the future. Necessary qualifications, working knowledge of Minecraft, strong communication skills, creative flair, confidence in remote working, and a passion for gardening slash the outdoors. So this is a firm that wants to hire people to work remotely, apparently to log into servers or shared files of other Minecraft players who have their own world that they're playing in. And you go in and you advise them on how to landscape the outer portions of their game file or server. This seems very interesting. I would love to know the sustainability as a job, i.e., how many hours a week will I be working and creating this? And secondly, there's a market big enough that they've posted a job online to hire multiple people. I knew Minecraft was big, but I didn't realize it was that popular that people are spending good money to hire people to give them landscaping advice. I believe it's amongst the top sold games in the world. It has apparently, according to this article, 126 million active players worldwide as of the time of the article, which was early in March. This job seems to take requests for appointments for consultation jobs, wherein the consultants would take these and kind of pick them up as they have scheduling open for it. So theoretically, as long as they're getting enough requests, you can work as much or as little as you want. And when you do, it promises you can be compensated up to $60 an hour. That is a really good rate. $60 an hour to work from home on a video game that, you know, I guess I haven't been shy about saying it's one of my more enjoyed pastimes. It's very zen from the way I play it. You fiddle around, move some stuff around, get a few little projects working, then you just drop it. You forget about it for a week. So I guess maybe I'm not hardcore enough. Mike, I don't think I have the dedication for this job. I have the dedication for this job because let's do a short-term mathing here. Let's say I get paid $60 for one hour's worth of work. 
I would say at $60 an hour, I could find the motivation. Let's just say I worked one hour and got paid $60 for it. If the minimum wage happened to be, let's randomly pick a number and say 15. That is four hours of work at $15 per hour. And I just worked one hour. So I just did four hours worth of work for one hour. $60. I can definitely readjust my work week requirements. Because now, instead of 40 hours a week at 15 an hour, I only have to work 10. Yeah, theoretically, and you would still make a sizable portion. Of course, I'm sure with the nature of this job and how you report in and how they have to do everything, it would probably count something like Uber, where it's sort of a gig economy and you don't get any benefits, etc., I'm sure there's got to be a downside to this. You are classified as a consultant. So there's probably some other things where they take in X number of dollars and you get X number of dollars based on either your contract or what was provided from that specific request. Which only gets me to wonder. Let's say you and I decide to... Go ahead with a challenge I threw around about doing a video podcast episode for Banter Banter, where we report from inside of a Minecraft world. Let's say you and I are working on this set, right? And it's going to have like a big window behind us. We want it to look pretty and we decide we don't have the time to figure it out on our own. How much do we have to pay one of these consultants? Not just so they can get paid that $60, but obviously this company that took our consultation commission, for them to operate off of this sort of work, if we get one of their top $60 an hour consultants, how much comes out of our pocket? At that point, I wouldn't be surprised if they wanted, let's say, 150 for a one-hour consultations. Just a little one-hour presentation, they log on. They take a copy of our Minecraft world, go into creative mode, and just kind of slap some blocks around and are like, well, you could do this, this, or this. That sounds way too much money for me. And unless I'm somehow churning a profit off of having a Minecraft server, I don't know if I could emotionally invest money into that thing in the sense of what I'm going to get back from it in a virtual world. You'd better believe we'd be doing several episodes from that Minecraft studio just to get our money's worth. Yes. I mean, at least a year's worth of that for 150 bucks. We're not changing that anytime soon. Note to self, force Mike into doing Minecraft banter banter, use budget without his permission to buy landscaping service. Also, by server to host Minecraft on. Then order Mike Minecraft so he can log on. This is too complicated. I'm not doing it. Let's move on. Although, I guess if you could log on to my PS3 server, you could totally play with me on my PS3 server. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, I have a PS3 server. Not really. I just have the game on the PS3. 
retro gaming is in vogue, and that is a console from two generations ago, now that the PS5 is out. Do, do, in vogue. That's right. PS3 vogue. The best vogue. Probably not. But you know what? That's kind of got me thinking about kind of the digital realm. Going back to an article that you made note of in one of last month's episodes. The article about Gabe Newell and the AI that Valve was working on for reading brainwaves and adjusting the video game, as you noted, like, you're playing a game and you're frustrated, it lowers the difficulty so that you enjoy it. Like, it's trying to hit that perfect medium. Oh, right. What Gabe calls the brain-computer interface. And then notes that we are conceptually meat peripherals. I like that term, personally. It sounds silly, (laughs) but it actually goes back to... I think it's KOTOR 2? There is an assassin robot that you can pick up for your team, and every time you talk to him, he calls you a meat bag. So, meat peripheral makes me think of that character always calling you the either good or bad Jedi with lots of power who could probably crush him in like two seconds. A meat bag. I think what really got me thinking about that article was the later part where it wasn't just talking about reading your brain's impulses, but rather giving off impulses that your brain would then interpret. So I think the last time we talked about it, it was something about a particular app that he wants to develop where you can basically tell whatever it is this device is and how it attaches to your head to send your brain into REM sleep to basically stimulate those parts, which I imagine would probably knock you right the heck out. I guess it's just that particular part of that device and technology that kind of gets into some territory where I could see it easily exploited. Because not only are they taking your brain's information now, i.e. to adjust the experience in a game or media, for example, it would have the capability to incite certain reactions from your body with those signals. I can get behind that fear and that nervousness of the bad side of a situation. I was randomly watching a TV show off of And the episode that I was watching was a history-related show about the progression and human understanding of atoms, which clearly is connected to the creation of the atom bomb and nuclear fission and nuclear reactors and its expansion into our world after learning about it, but the lack of knowledge about the negative effects, the side effects of any of those processes with the new technology, super dangerous. And you actually made me think of the book by Michael Crichton, The Terminal Man, which is about a man who gets 
an electrical impulse put in his brain to stop seizures, but it activates a pleasure zone in his brain, which his body learns to activate, which makes him go into like blackout modes in the ecstasy moment of getting that electrical impulse. And clearly the AI should hopefully have some restrictions, but at the same time, like you're dabbling into a part of the human body that is run by electrical impulses that we don't know enough about how they react, that we could create a totally negative environment that produces a lot of bad intentions or stimulates the more vicious or negatively received social actions. I can't say all of them are going to be like personally bad, but it could also stimulate somebody to like enjoy and love the idea of murder in that environment and then go do it in real life. First off, let me say, this is probably not the last time we're going to revisit this article or this sort of technology as a subject because... It's so deep. And I still think you might appreciate a little bit of the media talk that we could have for Ernest Klein's sequel to Ready Player One called Ready Player Two, because it has something very similar. But additionally, like you were saying, that we don't necessarily understand the intricacies of the brain and what it can handle and what it can't. I don't think it stopped any company from trying stuff. It never will. It's just like how we created the nuclear bomb. We created a weapon and then created power plants that help us but still have negative effects. Let me go back to another point that you had brought up was being able to stimulate somebody's brain to really enjoy murder. I might have to rely on you folks on the internet to remember this for me because I'm kind of saying it on the spot, but there was an article about how one of the European nations, maybe France, was working on technology to be able to emotionally inhibit soldiers to basically kind of keep heavy emotions from clouding their judgment or basically have them hesitate while performing as a soldier. Yeah, I can see that, which creates a scary moment. Yeah, and this is something that once it's in there, once your brain gets used to the impulses, there's even times where, like you said, the brain tends to train itself, like in that piece of fiction you had brought up, where sometimes even in the absence of whatever stimuli was put in there medically, once it's removed, your brain could still have tendencies to create that, because now it's been trained to expect it. It gets pretty crazy. And honestly, another bit of, I guess, fiction lore you could get into if you wanted to delve into that whole thing with, like, technologically enhanced soldiers that are enhanced in a way to keep them from letting their emotions or their thoughts get in the way of them performing the job. The Metal Gear Solid franchise has a lot of subtext in that, aside from all of the crazy Kojima stuff that goes on. Interesting. I would add to that the back end of the series Westworld on HBO, 
without giving any spoilers, there are some characters that interact with being soldiers in the military, and they had military implants to override slash subdue the emotional and pain receptors of the body to make them a more effective soldier with processing and executing orders and tasks from leadership. I think an interesting part about the Metal Gear take on it was in Metal Gear Solid 4. One of the villains at the time, he gets control of the system that handles all of the nanomachines that do this emotional inhibiting. And it gets to this point that apparently most of the soldiers are, for all intents and purposes, mind-controlled into being soldiers. So the way he brings the world to its knees that is currently caught in global military conflict is he turns off those nanomachines and all of the soldiers basically succumb to panic attacks over everything that they have done while in war. Their psyches get crushed under the PTSD that was being held off by these nanomachines. When it turned off, the wave that was being held back just overwhelms them. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. So they crumble. There's a few shows where I have seen the suppression of for a duration and then the removal of the suppressing item causes a flood of whatever was being suppressed to overwhelm the individual. I liked in The Magicians that they dabbled with that idea of bottling up emotions, but you can only do it for X number of minutes or hours and then it would come back almost tenfold on you when you had to reconnect with them. But let's be honest, we're talking about very extreme scenarios happening, which most honestly, I think the way that it'll actually get us as a species will be in the way that we are most willing to accept, and that's that companies will learn how to harness this technology. So you'll be sitting at home, maybe watching a little bit of YouTube, and then that Doritos ad comes on, which happens to be linked to the always online, let's say, headset, or maybe it's an implant that is originally just designed to help you with maybe some chemical imbalances. I know a lot of people have come to light now that they are susceptible to stuff like depression, and some people need medication. Well, they had suggested that they could use this device to fill that role and instead stimulate your brain to releasing the proper chemicals to help ease you out of that. Let's say that has some sort of wireless functionality and it is also commercially tappable. Suddenly now you're watching that Doritos commercial and you're hungry and you've ordered them because you're connected to the internet and now you've got 10 boxes of Doritos showing up in the next 20 minutes. What if it doesn't tell you to order it? It doesn't have to tell you to. It just has to make you feel good every time you see that commercial. <laughs> Donuts. And then suddenly you're trained. Maybe it doesn't even really need the help of that device anymore. You just associate that with good feelings, which kind of creates a good memory for you. Because most good memories come with all of that brain chemistry that applies all of those nice juicy chemicals like, you know, endorphins. And I guess to kind of close off my thoughts on it, while 
I'm not trying to belittle the possibility of the larger stuff happening, like governments using it in a horrible way for their ends, or maybe some hacker who is either doing it just for fun and it's more harmful than anticipated, or maybe it was anticipated, whatever. Yes, there are those sources. I'm afraid of large corporations getting a hold of it and using it to their fullest advantage. Which is most likely the impact that would happen currently, at least in the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, you know full well from this discussion that we're not entirely fans of mind-controlling you through illicit brain contact impulses to stimulate your pleasure center for listening to our podcast. We believe, as we are both kind of older guys now, in the old-fashioned way. So we're going to ask you the old-fashioned way to rate our podcast, if it's allowable where you're listening to it. Otherwise, just share it with a friend. Slap it up on your socials or just tweet at us. I have a quick question for you listeners as we head our way out. The question I have for you, and I would love for you to give me a response. Who is your favorite Portal character, and why is it Wheatley? My question is, what do you think about Chun-Li still not getting into the Mortal Kombat live-action film? Do you think that article had a point? Or do you understand that Street Fighter is a different franchise in Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Hit us up on our socials. As always, even if you've gotten your shot, for everyone else's sake, if you gotta go out, wear a mask, don't touch your face, and maybe stay distant from those who may not have such a vaccine. Yeah. Don't be on fire. Don't be on fire. With your breath. Please slap some funnies on our Banter BanterCast Facebook page. Or share Mike Facts with us on Twitter at Banter underscore cast or individually at Brogar, C-R-E, for Manny. You can find me on Twitter at Mike8Time, the number 8. You can find Aaron at 8BitWizard. The 8 is Roman numerical. The podcast cover art is brought to us by at EasyLouisey based off of original art by at bobbin underscore goblins. And last but not least, the intro and outro to this episode is the most mysterious song on the internet. Get into your mystery machine and help us find out who created this magic. <laughs>